This is Speaker for the Living, a podcast where we explore human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. My co-host is JJ Genflone. And we're going to talk about movies today. <laughs> One movie in particular, but let's talk about movies because, you know, we, we've bash taken a few all times. All the time. No, all the time. And so before so getting to our core movie, how many trafficking movies have you seen, JJ? Too many? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had like, like at least 10 or more. And that's since, you know, being a so-called expert and in the field. So I've definitely, I've picked up a lot. There are actually, there's like a whole subcategory on Netflix that you can sort of, if you want to have a really depressing afternoon and maybe get on a watch list, you can jump on. Right, and that doesn't even get into all the documentaries on trafficking, of which there's even more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are these are primarily fictionalized ones that I've watched. And then that's not counting, I think, probably, I as I've talked about, we have a literal podcast episode devoted to my love of true crime and murder shows, and I've done a fair, a fair bit of watching shows or programs fictionalized and otherwise that deal exclusive or have dealt, you know, for their episode of the week with, with human trafficking directly. Oh, before uh, going down the rabbit hole, do you have a favorite human trafficking movie? Oh, really? Yeah, I really liked The Whistleblower with Rachel Weiss portraying okay. Catherine Bulkova. All right, and so why, why do you like that one? I thought it portrayed the complexity of not just human trafficking, but how it's not so easy to deal with like just identifying it and the fact that yes sometimes there are important people involved it it was based in bosnia where where somebody who was a cop in the united states was uh, brought over there to uh to do law enforcement and uh uncovered human trafficking and then uncovered that there were some un people involved and then she was basically shut down and barely was able to uncover it with official documents. It wasn't the normal, like, savior complex. It's a complex narrative of a complex crime. Mm-hmm. And it's not purely sensational, but it, it's showing how it's hard to prosecute. It's showing that sometimes people in power are corrupt. And... When you're talking about the world where, you know, whatever issues the United States has with law, like other countries don't necessarily see rule of law the same way that we do. And mm-hmm. and then when you're in places that are war zones where even more things are up for grabs, that it can be challenging to deal with. So I really liked the, the complexity and, and the fact that she ultimately was a whistleblower and got out of the situation and uh, uncovered it. I mean, that was a plus too. Yeah, I actually haven't... I feel like I need to watch it again then because I, I didn't get the same sort of vibe off of it, but might be worth sort of investigating and, and watching again. I kind of have three, I guess, on mine. I have one is a really old black and white movie from uh, 1913 called Traffic and Souls. If, if anyone, I think there's probably like three of you listen to this podcast who actually know who I am in real life. Uh, I have a big picture of it up in my office 
because this is the one where they say that young girls are being taken by foreigners in New York City through the devilish, depraved ice cream parlor. And it's it was an early film used in one anti-Jewish little uh, sentiment in New York, so it's sort of an interesting historical piece. But then it also is sort of the beginning of the white sla- the modern white slavery human trafficking myth. So I think, and it's a short black and white film. It's just it's something that when I teach, I intend to show when we sort of cover this idea of what white slavery, the difference. Uh, then I have one that came out in 2013 called Bell which is on Dido Elizabeth Bell, who is a mixed-race woman. It's a British period film, and it follows the real historical woman, Dido Elizabeth Bell, who was the child of a British Royal Navy officer. Her uncle, who was her legal guardian, was the judge who made the ruling on the Zong Massacre, which, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that was the first British case that ruled that slaves were human beings, And what happened there was that the ship Zong, when they realized that they weren't going to be making – engaged in something that actually historically happened quite a bit, which was that it was a slave ship that realized that due to illness they weren't going – that had ravaged their enslaved cargo, that they were not going to be making the money that they had anticipated. And so they could make more money off of the insurance they had taken out on their – I guess what what they would define as cargo – And so they purposefully sank the ship and all of the enslaved individuals on board. And so the Zong uh, massacre, that it was actually ruled a massacre, was a really important movement moment in the British abolitionist movement because it was an actual legal recognition that slaves are people and therefore should not be considered cargo and could not – that it was actually murder. It was a massacre. It wasn't just destruction of property. And it, I mean, it's also a love story and it's beautiful. And the guy who plays Malfoy from Harry Potter is in it as an evil racist, which is just oddly fitting because it's Malfoy. It's just perfect. It's great. It's a, it's a really good movie. Very, very well done. Really talks about sort of issues even with like the early British abolitionist movement and how it didn't incorporate both women and people of color into it. And then I guess my third one is a mini series. That came out, I want to say, in 2004, 2005. It has Robert Carlyle, who I think is a really awesome actor. That's um, Bigby from Train Spotting, and it's a if I remember, it's a three part part mini series that follows the trafficking of a bunch of Eastern European women, including. Older Eastern European women and then a bunch of young women from the Philippines who are taken and um, captured. Either Some are captured, some are sold by their families, some willingly sign up to be engaged in sexual services, but then are trafficked. So it's actually a, a really good, I think, showing of that people come from all different places, all different ages, all different backgrounds, and are trafficked by a Russian gang into the U.S. and then the the U.S. ice-based investigation into what when when the girls start showing up dead. There are a lot of issues with it. One, this idea that it's only young girls. Two, that it does focus on primarily a child 
brothel that's like in Manhattan, which just seems very difficult. It's a lot of stuff on sort of the inner life of this ICE agent that I honestly find distracting. And yeah, so there's a lot of problems with it, but it's actually quite good. I really do. Overall, I enjoy it. It is difficult, but it does talk about exploitation without getting like super seedy. And I will say Robert Carlyle does a really good job of portraying like a mafia head who's deeply engaged, a Russian mafia head, even though he's Scottish, who's deeply engaged in human trafficking and doesn't seem to be affected, at least in the scenes that we as the audience see of trafficking. So I, those are like the three I would recommend you know, I would recommend that miniseries over, say, like, Law & Order's usual takedown of trafficking. But so, like, those are my three. I think they all sort of hit different points for why they're important. So we're going to talk about the movie A Child's Voice by No Restrictions Entertainment. In preparing for the film, I read some reviews, one of which said it's rare for Hollywood to portray trafficking. Also read one from this uh, fringe media site, quote, the rarity of portrayals of child sex trafficking, much less fictionalized ones, make A Child's Voice a groundbreaking and essential film that bucks a film industry silence on the matter. Now, the bad grammar aside, neither of those things are true. And I, the fact <laughs> that somebody who's woke, who thinks they're woke, wrote that is all, all the more amazing because if you're paying attention, <laughs> uh, there's... So many TV series that cover it, like almost any crime series covers it. It is in things like Madam Secretary, which it should be because Secretary of State. Uh, it was a pretty core element of TV show Nikita, where one of the characters was sex trafficked. Mm -hmm. As far as movies, Trade with Kevin Klein is a Hollywood movie, and it portrayed child sex trafficking. If you go overseas, uh, Sweden... And Lilia Forever portrays child sex trafficking. And then there's documentaries like The Virginity Trade about Cambodia or Very Young Girls in New York that talked about girls and how their boyfriends would not real, well, their boyfriends who pretended to be boyfriends in order to seduce them into the trade. Mm -hmm. Very disturbing thing, especially since it's in New York. See, JJ and I look at this and we're like, what what else is talked about aside from child sex trafficking? Because when we look out, it's the top of the list is child sex trafficking and then sex trafficking. And if there's any room left over, we'll talk about labor trafficking. Yeah, that we have to kind of shoehorn in or it's historic transatlantic traffic trafficking. There's there's very little on sort of modern human trafficking. Now, that's not to say that we couldn't use more good films on these topics or, or more awareness and more, um, more ways of positive action. And if people are going to make films about it and want to bring awareness to an aspect of it, generally think that's a good thing. And I, I support that and we want to see that. And, and that just makes it all the more painful and disappointing when people try to do that and fail or misconstrue what trafficking is, or don't understand what trafficking is. And that's where we are today. 
But before getting into that, what is human trafficking? One of the really easy models is the AMP model, AMP, which is actions, means, and purpose. Actions such as recruits or transports or harbors. The means, which are really important, which are force, fraud, and coercion. But the really big one that can trip up people is purpose. Right, JJ? Yeah, very much so. Why are you being trafficked? And it's pretty much two things for it to be, quote, human trafficking legally. Commercial sex. So all sex is not commercial sex. And then labor or services. So it's, say, for something to apply to recruit somebody by fraud to either have them involved in transactional sex, so you know, so selling sexual services, or labor services. And if there's no purpose, it's not trafficking. It might be a heinous crime. It might be something horrible for humanity and for that person, but it's not trafficking. Thoughts to add, JJ? Just that also, too, I think what should be added in, and I we don't really, it's this doesn't really apply to, like, the models themselves, like the AMP models. But I think we do need to acknowledge too is that the type of victim shown most of the time in a lot of these narratives, again and again, is not actually the true victimology that we see present as the majority. So moving along, a child's voice. (laughs) We're going to be so professional. Or rather, Seth is going to be professional, and I'm going to be angry. Uh, On the positives, I thought the visuals and the shots were decent enough. I mean, I'm not expecting Hollywood level, but mm-hmm. I, I'm satisfied with that. The acting could be better, but I've seen worse. I mean, I've seen Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Watching him in a walk in the clouds was, was really, really painful. Hey, we all have bad days. Don't insult the Keanu. I'll love him forever for Bill and Ted. Um, he was good in that. It fit him perfectly. He's good in The Matrix, too. But in uh, Walk in the Clouds, no, no, no. So I I was fine with those. It, it's just when, if you don't have a good script, it's hard to have a good movie. I, I have a number of complaints uh, about the film that are just, you know, I guess we'll get the little nitpicky ones, my nitpicky complaints. Yeah. One, as, as Seth said, I, I found that uh, some of the acting was quite stilted, but that also could be the result of dialogue that often made no sense and scene pacing that was weird. I must say, I did, whoever their lighting director was, good job. It was exceptional, like the mood lighting was perfect from scene to scene, which actually matters. Their continuity editor had some problems, but you know, like mm-hmm. in terms of, I also was very impressed with whoever did like their set design. Things actually looked like if you were living in a really cheap, broken down apartment, how that would look. It wasn't sort of Hollywoodized. Everyone seemed to have a bowl cut. That's an interesting choice on my end that I would just like to point out. Uh, whoever did their special effects seems to think that track marks for heroin addicts look like vampire bites i was actually a little confused i thought when i first saw the first set of track marks that we were going to have a lost boys type situation that is a little awkward also apparently all heroin addicts have really 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 big clean syringes that was 
sort of a concern of mine, and that's sort of my nitpickiness. However, my biggest complaint, maybe to start this whole thing off, is uh, this movie wasn't about trafficking. There wasn't trafficking in this movie. And the one time where they almost sold two kids, yes, even that wouldn't make it trafficking, but at least you'd no. have a transaction. But yes. the, instead, somebody punched somebody else and they just took them, in which case... There's not, like, it's, it's not even debatable it's a- in that point. Yeah, it's just kidnapping. And then you have murder. Mm-hmm. So, it's also a crime. Yeah. But, Child murder, not cool. Uh, draining the blood of innocent children to presumably drink, also not cool. Also crime, however, not human trafficking. Yes. And We're very I, much I, at I the can't... spoilers part, just to be clear. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, guys, don't hurt yourselves this isn't like a showgirls moment where you're like i'm gonna watch this and it'll be fun no don't don't do it i here here is the issue that i have primarily with this is that what i think this film does is it took a very sensationalized story that is an urban legend that surrounds human trafficking that i think comes out of the sort of daycare sex abuse satanic panic hysteria of the 1980s and 1990s where people all across the U.S. thought that children, typically white children from from the U.S., were being taken, sexually abused, having their blood drained or taken and used in satanic rituals. In particular, I'm talking about the Martinsvale satanic sex scandal, which happened in 1992, where a mother, this was actually in Canada, but so like just a sort of a rash in English-speaking areas, said that a woman who ran a babysitting service in a daycare center had sexually abused her child and that also was running a satanic cult called the Brotherhood of the Ram, who did ritualized sexual abuse of children at this daycare where they took blood from the children to use in satanic issues. Uh, at the time... A number of people there were arrested and found guilty of that crime. However, a follow-up investigation in the early 2000s proved that, one, they were not guilty. The original investigation had been motivated and dominated by emotional hysteria. There was actually no truth to these claims. And the defendant sued for wrongful wrongful prosecution and got a $1.5 million compensation package for malicious prosecution. And... There's been a number of really great documentaries, uh, including one called Witch Hunt, that has, um, oddly enough, Sean Penn is the narrator, that details how all of this sort of satanic panic happened. But I see that satanic panic reflected in this film, where it's this fear that these sweet little white children are being taken or bought and sold off the streets. Their blood is then being taken, and it's for some nefarious ritual where then government officials or sort of high-powered elites are then paying for access to to the service, to, to this, I guess, sweet, sweet child blood. Which they also don't portray the paying of. No, no. So this might just be maybe maybe the nefarious man who looks kind of like if you took the guy Bill from Kill Bill – David Carradine. It looks kind of like if you ran David Carradine through a rinse cycle. Okay, but it does look like David Carradine who was like run through a, a, a wash cycle and then got shrunk, maybe, or like a David Carradine that you bought 
at at TJ Maxx Home Goods on deep discount. He just looked enough like him to be like, is that Dave Carradine? No, he's not. Carradine's dead. So I have enough. Maybe you know. So maybe this guy is just running a benevolent service to deliver child blood to old white politicians and elites. I don't know. So that's issue number one, is that this is this is a thing that we see reflected in sort of like Pizzagate narratives or through a number of different narratives of conspiracy theories that pop up online. Yeah, and just to briefly expand yeah. before you get to your next point, there's an old thing relating to the protocols of the elders of Zion and Jews drinking blood. Like that's been a thing, a conspiracy theory for centuries Pizzagate is not just about the pizza parlor. It's thing that involves elites in Hollywood and rings and the elites who drink children's blood. And it's a big major conspiracy theory that it doesn't deny by including it in the movie. In fact, by not explaining, which is a big issue I have with this movie, is it doesn't explain why they're drinking blood or much of anything else. And so it leaves it open to, well, it must be talking about these other well-known conspiracy theories. So it's just ha- just portraying that part of satanic ritual abuse has a lot of conspiracy theory implications. Mm-hmm. So moving on, what's your number two? Well, is that my number two is that actually there are a variety of moments in this film where they could have depicted human trafficking as it actually is, particularly in, in the U.S., particularly with two of like the main protagonists are sort of young, homeless teens in, in California, with how trafficking actually looks on the ground. For example, if I look below my bowl cuts note, the fact that there are drug dealers demanding money or services for their product of a homeless teen that is, is very much addicted and has no, no place else to go. That is actually a, a prime moment where human trafficking does tend to occur on the street level where an individual who is desperate and vulnerable is placed in a situation where someone who has power and control of them like a drug dealer then forces them to do something in order to generate money for the drug dealer. And if you're generating money for someone because you're afraid if you don't, they'll kill you, or in this case, the drug dealer, and one of the more believable scenes, a guy who's like basically dealing out of a what looks like a 7-Eleven bathroom, highly believable. If, if that's the case, then that's a situation that easily could have transitioned into a, at the very least, an exploitative situation, but something that could have easily transitioned into a trafficking situation as, as we know it. Then there's another scene where we see the young female protagonist. She is is leaving the boyfriend that she's with. They're staying in an apartment. She wants to leave. He actually gets physical with her. They get into a fight. He doesn't want her to leave. He tells her she has to do, you know, he she has to go to bed. She has to do what he wants. That could then easily transition into a trafficking situation because this is a young lady who's going to be homeless if she doesn't follow the rules that he has for her. Which, I mean, in this case, it was, let's drain the blood of children, but it could have been easily very much so you need to prostitute yourself in order to remain here, in order for me not to harm you, you need to run drugs for me, you need to, she has shown panhandling, but you need to bring that panhandling money to me at the end of the day. There are a variety of moments where that, because she is so vulnerable, 
Uh, she talks about how she was born in, in Greece, so she's not technically a U.S. national. She could, you know, that she could have been trafficked quite easily. Then when the two, the male and female protagonists get together, their power dynamics are really, really messed up. And Seth, I think maybe you can talk a little bit more to that. And because their power dynamics are so messed up, you know, she immediately moves into the hotel room where he's staying. They're immediately very, very dependent on one another. He is, I find, to be quite manipulative uh, over her. Because of that, that's a situation that then could have transitioned very easily into a trafficking situation. So there, there are three moments, like three distinct story arcs within this film where I think – even like separating the whole one of the minions of the evil guy maybe turns good for a second and then shoot but you know he's being tortured there that one's a little bit more sensationalized 24 film-esque but there are at least three moments that to me felt very real that could have very much transitioned into actual trafficking situations how actual trafficking plays out on the street be it either through sex trafficking or labor trafficking or a mixture of both and that just didn't happen instead we had ghost children voices and a scene that looked like it was out of like teen wolf where a guy is like transforming and into knowing things and so that to me all these moments where we could have had like real trafficking actually explored i think was a missed opportunity and i think reveals the weak parts of the script and perhaps even the research that went into the script for example um withdrawal one of the characters as i mentioned before the vampire heroin bites he's going through heroin withdrawal it's actually portrayed as sort of this romantic moment where he's heroin sick for approximately 24 hours and the and the female protagonist is coaxing him through it withdrawal especially from opioids is not pretty it's not romantic it's it can't be fixed by someone lightly pouring you know a wet washcloth on your forehead to be dope sick is is really really dangerous and exceptionally damaging and can go on for weeks this is why people are asked to detox in medical facilities it's not this quick like at one point he's wearing khaki pants and a sweater and detoxing and it's like no you'd be vomiting out of every pore in your body that's not how it works and that to me was a was actually if we're talking about human trafficking as it is we know from people who who we've interviewed and from other people who've talked about on the, on the show and, and other podcasts and books and podcasts we've recommended to you on human trafficking, that it's when people have been sick or their loved one has been sick or that they've been in such a vulnerable state that they've been trafficked because they've been willing to take on an additional risk that normally they wouldn't because well, what's going to happen to me if I don't, or that this is the level then of control that the dealer could have over the male protagonist because Literally, if you don't do what I'm going to tell you to do, you could die from this withdrawal. And instead, it's presented as this really romantic, sweet moment. And it's like, no, summer child, you will have diarrhea to death. So, it, Plus, it, they had that, the chemistry of two rocks. Yeah, that also, too. But then, but then there's this weird – there's sex that happens between the two of them. One, which, like, you would not be doing as you go through withdrawal. But also, two, that now that also changes the power dynamic. You know, it would have, to me, a far more interesting movie would have been this young woman from Greece who is homeless, who straddles the line between exploitative relationships, panhandling, where she's making free choices, 
a trafficking situation where she's sort of navigating all of sort of these these actual dangers, non-romanticized, of living on the street, of how do you, you know, what is trafficking, what is not. There, That would have been a really interesting movie to me. I actually really cared what was going on with her. I did not care about ghost babies telling me about, like, their blood being drained i don't know seth what what were your thoughts but that to me was the wasted opportunity to actually depict trafficking to instead to put to depict sort of the satanic panic that really bugged me i mean my biggest problem with the movie is the plot made no sense and i i could say the characters were two-dimensional but a big reason why they were two-dimensional is i understood the motivations of nobody why anyone does what they do and then the world also made no sense. One of the things I remember from reading Orson Scott Card's book on uh, writing sci-fi and fantasy, and this movie would be a fantasy because it's uh, paranormal, is you have to let people know the rules of the magic. It also made no sense. And in some ways, the movie wasn't arguing for this being a bad thing. Like it thinks mm-hmm. it is, but like just to start with, with the very beginning where I write like child was sacrificed and becomes a glowing orb that says, can you help me? And then he goes around and he finds the, the druggie, Tim. Why? Who knows? He's high on that at that point. So let's pick this guy. And then the next day, and this is maybe the one counter to, to the whole withdraw thing is we don't really know because the dead child ghost does which like the fact that we does say some magic thing words. he does some magic thing that does something to make his withdraw better but we don't know how much better but like okay he has the power to heal now so so wait he's killed in a satanic ritual He's not doomed because of that. He's able to become something that counters that and become a super being that, you know, with angel powers, even though it was in a satanic ritual. And coming from a religious background of like, you know, knowing about Frank Preddy and stuff, that makes no sense. Totally counter. Like you would expect him to be cursed or something. So there's that. And then the ghost tells Tim after he heals him, okay, go to this place. And Tim does that, and he finds a backpack with a gun, a roll of money, and more heroin. Sure, I'm going to heal you and give you more heroin, and because I guess the ghost, like, like he seems more like a manipulative ghost, like Donnie Darko or something. Like, <laughs> but then we don't hear from him, and eventually he go, and then he's told to save the girl, and so th- that scene makes no sense too because he. Her old boyfriend was going to kill her, which he easily could have done if he wouldn't have shot from a far distance. And so she goes back. Chris, her name's Christy, goes back to his hotel because he's staying in a hotel now because he's rich. And then she's criticizing him for being a druggie. And then they they have a yell, and he's like, "I'm letting you stay. Like I saved you. What what are you complaining about?" Which also sets up a power dynamic and makes JJ and I think of all these stories of like survival sex and people who are staying with somebody purely and, and giving them sex purely so that they can survive. Yeah. It just, it, it, there were so many things that made no sense that I started rewriting the script midway through 
Yeah. Uh, because my note is, I have a note at 12 o'clock. Is this, so 12 minutes in, is this a scene from Teen, from Teen Wolf? Also apparently withdrawal is fun, exclamation point. And then at 35 minutes into the film, still no trafficking. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then a sad face. So it, it was about the 35 minute mark that I started rewriting the film to, to make it better in my head. But the fact that they have a fight, which is about him being a druggie, and then he, he, you know, tells her that manipulative stuff. He doesn't tell her the truth about, you know, like she sees the money, doesn't tell her the truth about it. No. So he's lying, and, she, and it's pretty clear that he's holding back. Yes. So, you know, somebody who just came from a lying situation, now she's in another one. Yes. And immediately after they fight over his drug use, he goes and almost takes drugs, which... I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say what his withdrawal is because of the magic, but then it's it's a really weird thing to say. Okay, immediately after that, he would take drugs, but then but then he doesn't, and then he goes and he buys clothes, and he comes back, and everything like the rest of the clothes, night is creepy. His clothes, by the way, make him look like a kid who's trying to dress up like Millhouse from. That's yeah. The Simpsons. It's the weirdest oversized khakis and weird. I'm going to church camp for the first time in my life sweater. So everything it's a very is, weird choice. Yeah, I thought it was a, a color blue. I'm not sure I've seen before. And like he comes back, she just had a shower and is wearing a towel. And then he goes and he says, you know, he's wearing his clothes and he he said that girls liked his clothes, which is creepy. And he says, oh, I. Bought you clothes. I think these would look good for you. Also kind of creepy. And then I'm watching in disbelief as they're sitting eating later. And he goes and he makes a move on her and puts his hand on her hand. I was literally creeped out. It. I'm not going to blame it on the bowl cut and the semi-fat acting. But I am saying he, he does look a little bit like a Ted Bundy serial killer. And I'm sure he's a lovely... The actor is a lovely person in real mm-hmm. life. I shouldn't claim that. His character... To me, seems like if you told me then that two minutes after that, he was going to be like, well, now you owe me $300 for this pizza and blouse. So because of that, you need to go out and panhandle to, to give me that. And your rent's going to increase by $100 a day. I would not be shocked. But yeah, considering everything that's happened, the fact that this is a movie about supposedly about trafficking. Yeah. And that you have somebody repeatedly, overtly flirting immediately after saying i'm protecting you <laughs> i it's I, it's a weird it's unacceptable <laughs> it's a bad this is what i'm saying in that like if you set out to make a human trafficking movie i'm very shocked that you apparently did not really do research into human trafficking and and that to me is is concerning and then eventually he has a nightmare and she puts a towel on his head and kisses him and they make love and i wanted to shut the movie off at that point because he says he's in a nightmare, too, because he's going into withdrawal. And also, she owns one pair of pants, and she puts them into a chlorinated pool, which is just, like, a bad choice, a life choice no one would ever rationally make. It, there there are a number of issues, a number of them with it. Yeah, so that, they, they yeah, so they eventually... The trafficking movie isn't trafficking. They eventually... Yeah, there, there's other kids that are taken, but, you know, they're kidnapped, not sold... Uh, although that's supposedly the idea, but, you know, and then eventually the uh, two protagonists are caught and Christie's tortured. 
And Ghost Boy comes back, and he apparently can change the real world because he unties Tim. And then Tim gets a gun from somewhere. I don't know if it was the one in his pocket or... Anyway, and then he shoots them, and then the boy becomes an apparition, and he heals people. I mean, one of the ways I can interpret this movie is children who are sacrificed because it shows other children later. It shows them all being orbs as if, uh, I guess, this trafficking ring is doing this to all the kids. It shows a girl later on who's able to come fully formed and talk and ask for help. But, like, if you become super being apparitions who are able to change the physical reality and orchestrate the death of your murderers... Do you really need help? And I'm saying that based on the narrative of the movie, not the reality of children who are sex trafficked or children who are killed in any rituals that happen in the United States. By portraying the children as super beings, it it, it brings to question, do you really need help? I could argue that the boy might not have needed help. Maybe he didn't need to manipulate somebody to kill for him. I, and also just, again... I, we've talked about this, I think, even just in a podcast just, like, two weeks ago. Crime, like, a crime, like murder or, or kidnapping, is not necessarily trafficking. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to it. It doesn't mean that people aren't deserving of our empathy and our sympathy and our concern. But it it's not trafficking. And it's important to be clear. Pedophilia by itself is not necessarily trafficking. Kidnapping is not necessarily trafficking. Like... In order for it to be trafficking, there have to be certain things that happen. And so while somebody committing statutory rape against a child is a horrible thing, it's not necessarily trafficking. By itself, it isn't. So I don't feel like the movie got the main message of helping kids across, but by a paranormal way, I thought the paranormal device actually, if anything, gave the opposite message. Yeah, At least made it ambiguous. My, my big thing is I just think it was misguided writing. I think, you know, if you wanted to make a movie about kids being drained for blood and then them talking to people to seek revenge, sort of a let the right one in maybe on steroids, cool. Down with that. That could actually be a really interesting movie. If, however, you say it's a human trafficking movie, that's just not true. That's like saying you're making a movie about going into outer space and it's actually about puppies it just doesn't apply so that's our sad review i would have rather said good things but it isn't a movie about trafficking and it has a very muddled message and the script sucked but you know coming from faith christian backgrounds we we've seen for instance a lot of well-meaning christian movies that suck oh yeah just just being well-meaning doesn't mean it accomplishes the goal and so, like, I appreciate, you know, a company reaching out and being like, hey, you have a human trafficking podcast. We have a human trafficking movie. Let's have a comment. I'm fine with that. However, this wasn't a human trafficking movie. Actually, it wasn't. And it's important for the distinction to be there because this happens all the time. People are confused. Yeah, and, and there's ways where the confusion is counterproductive. Can confuse people by calling this trafficking when it isn't. And... If there's people that know what trafficking is and they see what this is about and realize it's not, then they can be dismissive about trafficking. Like to go to extremes, like it's all sex work or it's all 
forced prostitution or it's sort of the same thing though right that it's it's all one particular type of trafficking and it's and it's all one particular type of victim and there's all one solution which is i guess we destroy evil people who drink the blood of children i don't know it's it's a lot all right until next time we watch a movie i still haven't watched trafficked with ashley judd (laughs) i don't know if i want to though have fun with that one. There's also uh, there's a new one that just hit Netflix as well called Bought and Sold that might be interesting. And we'll MST3K it, I guess. Watch and reply. Yep. All right. That's all we got to say today. Until the next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.